0: To this day, Julia Skalka remembers the time 60 years ago, when her grandmother scolded her for being too familiar with a young man. Julia is 19, maybe 20 years old. She and the young man aren't doing anything scandalous, just holding hands. But Grandma Lupton doesn't like it.
1: Where my grandmother thought I was getting overly friendly with a, a gentleman who had come to see me, and I ne- I'll, ne- I'll never forget, she made a remark after he left. She made a remark, and my mother got so angry. She said, "You're a fine one to talk." Well, I never, I never knew what she was talking about, but my grandmother did.
0: Julia doesn't know it then, but her grandma lepton has a secret one that will stay hidden from Julia and her siblings for decades, a secret that explains their very existence. Welcome to Tales from the Rep Morgue, the podcast that explores the Canton Repository's 200-year-old archive. I'm your host, Shane Hoover. In the previous episode, we told the story of Levi Lupton, a charismatic preacher and alliance who rose to national prominence before scandal brought him down. But who was Mamie Corlett, the mother of his child? And what happened to her, Levi, and the child after they left town? Part One, Miss Corlett. Mamie's photograph dominates the front page of the Evening Repository on December fifteenth, 1910. She wears a high lacy collar with a cameo brooch at her neck. Her hair is pulled up in a bun. She looks like a Gibson girl by way of Bible school. As with Levi, you immediately notice her gaze, strong but kinder than his.
2: Oh gosh, uh, Shane, when I, I saw a picture of her not too long ago when she was a young woman, and she was beautiful. She was a beautiful young woman.
0: That's Mike Lupton, Mamie's grandson. Mamie is born in 1881 in Cleveland, Ohio. Her parents, James and Mary, name her Mary, but everyone calls her Mamie. It's a big family. Mamie has an adult brother and several adult sisters. As a girl, she is deeply religious. At 13 she joins the Friends Church on Cedar Avenue, where the pastor is the Reverend J. Walter Malone, the namesake of Malone University. When her sisters roll up the carpet to dance in the parlor, Mamie stays upstairs and reads scripture in her room. She becomes a leader in her church, and dreams of being a missionary. That's probably, at first, what draws her to Levi Lupton. Mamie is working as a teacher in Cleveland when she meets Levi, the charismatic former pastor of the Friends Church and Alliance. Whether they meet before or after Levi's mission trip to Africa during the first half of 1905 is unclear. But Mamie later becomes a student at Lupton's missionary school to the concern of her family, including her sister, Edna Horwell. He cast his influence over
3: her. She grew to think he was the ideal man of the gospel. One day she went to Mother. I am going to alliance with Mr. Lupton, she said. Mother tried to talk it out of her. So did Brother and the girls, but to no avail. Her friends talked to her. But she would not listen, Edna Horwell.
0: Not only does Mamie join the school, she becomes involved in the phenomenon that makes the missionary school and Levi notorious. On January 4th, 1907, the repository reports that Mamie is among the first students at the school to get the so-called gift of tongues after praying for two days. Laura Lupton, Levi's wife, says Mamie talks for hours at a time in unintelligible languages. Two other students get the gift and so does Levi. Laura claims her husband speaks five languages and has a halo on his brow. In time, Mamie progresses from student to stenographer to matron at the missionary home and Levi's influence grows over her life. She is in her mid-twenties. He is in his mid-forties. When Mamie falls in love with a minister in alliance, Levi tells the young man he shouldn't marry her. On Mamie's occasional visits to Cleveland, her family tries to get her to stay.
3: Just as we began to hope, a letter or a long-distance call from Lupton would take her back to him. She would take the first train back to Alliance. When Mamie came home, she always looked shabby. She apparently got no salary until last year. We bought her clothes while she was here. We knew nothing of her plight until the Sunday before Thanksgiving, when Mother got a long-distance call from my sister, Miss Hattie Schnell, in Toledo. Come at once. There's something wrong with Mamie. Edna Horwell
0: Part 2, When We Come Back Part 2 Something Wrong With Mamie No one at the missionary home thinks much of it when Mamie takes a vacation for her health in the summer of 1910. What they don't know is the health issue, his pregnancy. Her baby boy David is born October 15th of that year. He's about five weeks old when Mamie appears at her sister's home in Toledo, Edna Horwell one of her sisters, offers to adopt the baby and keep the scandal a secret. She tells Mamie to give up Levi, and she will help. Mamie refuses, and takes the baby with her to the missionary home in Alliance.
3: I can't find words to express my feelings towards Lupton. There is no word to sum up the revulsion and hatred I have for a man who took a pure, innocent girl and in the guise of religion, ruined her. Edna Horwell.
0: A frantic telegram summons Levi from Chicago, where he has been preaching. Soon his secret is out and his reputation destroyed. His wife, Laura, who has been married to Levi for 26 years, sticks with him, but many of Levi's followers desert him. The scandal hits newspapers from coast to coast. As reporters swarm for details, Mamie's brother Tom, a strapping college football player, visits her at the missionary home. Meanwhile, the public demands Alliance Police and the county prosecutor take action, but Mamie and her family don't want to file charges against Levi. Twice, Alliance Police scramble to intercept lynch mobs headed for the missionary home. Each time, it's a false alarm. The circus carries on for a week and a half until Mamie finally leaves the missionary home two days before Christmas. You have my blessing. I will pray for you. Levi tells her when she departs with their sister Edna and the baby. Mamie wears a dark blue suit and small black hat with a dark veil that day. During the trip, she and Edna look after the baby, plan Christmas shopping, and discuss streetcar schedules. We know all of these details because reporters stake out the route from Alliance to Cleveland. While waiting at the station in Canton for the 1235 Limited to Cleveland, Mamie tells a reporter she has nothing to say. Between Akron and Cuyahoga Falls, she and Edna threaten to have reporters thrown from the train. When the sisters reach Cleveland, the press hounds them all the way from the station to the family home. One of Mamie's sisters holds a shawl, while another uses an apron to screen Mamie and the baby from the siege of photographers. Mamie and her sisters are more than a match for the press. They poke one reporter in the stomach with an umbrella. Two others are slapped in the face, including one who tries to open the door of Mamie's cab. I beg your pardon, Mamie tells him, after giving him a whack. Part 3. When we come back. Part 3. Son of a Preacher Man. With Mamie in Cleveland, Levi and Laura announce they're going to Michigan, but the scandal isn't over. Just after New Year's Day 1911, Levi and Mamie sue a publisher to stop their photos from appearing in a book about the scandal. During the trial, Levi makes a devastating admission. He never had the gift of tongues. The judge grants Mamie's request for privacy on the grounds that she is merely an unfortunate young woman. But he denies the same for Lupton. Levi has been teaching righteousness, the judge says, and he believes that the people have a right to know Levi's real character, as well as what he looks like. By his own confession, Levi should be put in the rogues' gallery of ministers who have fallen, the judge says. Accounts of Levi's life after the scandal exist in fragments. There's a story about him going to Michigan to sell stoves. Later, he turns up near Buffalo. Mamie and her son David actually lived there with Levi and Laura in 1920. The Review reports in 1931 that Laura has died in Maryland, and that Levi died two years earlier. Exactly where and when Levi dies isn't specified. By then, Mamie and David are back with their family in Cleveland. As an adult, David marries twice. He and his second wife settle in Detroit. When David dies in 1950, Mamie helps his widow raise their five children. Again, Mike Lupton.
2: My dad was 40 years old when he died. And uh, my mother went to work, and she, was a, she worked as a secretary. And um, uh, so uh, my grandmother really, you know, got our meals, did our laundry, took care of us. And she was a, um, uh, she was a disciplinarian. She made sure our homework was done, and uh, uh, we were, uh, we, uh, my brother and I had paper routes when we were young, and uh, she'd make sure that the, we got out there. And, delivered the papers on time and made the collections. And, you know, people paid us and so uh, she, um, she watched over. she was uh, uh, I don't know how else to say otherwise that she was a good woman.
0: But Mike and his siblings always have questions about the woman they call Grandma Lupton. Where is she from? Why doesn't she wear a wedding ring? What happened to Grandpa Lupton? Their mom and dad never give them straight answers. Their cousins don't talk about it. And they don't dare ask Mamie. Again, Julia Skalka.
1: There was no reason for us ever to know this or for anybody to ever talk about it. And in those days, they didn't talk about it, let me tell you. Maybe she was always straight, straight, on the straight and narrow until she met Levi. Who knows? Um, We'll never know that. But she she certainly, for many, many years, uh, until her death in 65, she was straight as an arrow. Uh, And you wouldn't cross her. She had a cane, and you stayed just far enough away from that cane. She broke her hip, and after that she had a cane. So the five of us would, if we were laughing too hard, we'd get a little whack. So we learned to stay just far enough away from her
0: cane. Despite her time at the missionary home, or maybe because of it, there's no hint that Grandma Lupton is particularly religious. Mike says his mother, who was of Italian heritage, is the devout one, making sure he and his siblings go to Mass and parochial school. Grandma Lupton reads the Bible, but never attends any services that her grandchildren recall.
1: Now, if you knew my grandmother and the strict lady that she was, you you couldn't imagine in your wildest dreams her speaking in tongues. I mean, come on, it's just gibberish. And, and I can't, there was no indication in our whole lives that my grandmother had a thing to do with such a, a, a situation, such a religion. She, she used to say that God is in your heart and you can talk to him directly. That was all we ever got from her.
0: Julia, Mike, and their siblings are adults, when they start to learn the full story about Mamie, Levi, and the birth of their father.
1: One day, years later, after I was married and had my own children, um, my sister Kathleen came over to visit once and she said, you have to sit down and listen to this. I I thought someone had died or God forbid had cancer. And she said, you know, Grandma was never married to to our grandfather. I said, well, We'll just have to accept
0: that. Julia learns more after a Lupton family researcher sees her name on a book and asks if she is related to Levi.
1: It's very odd when you don't uncover it until you're uh, middle-aged yourself and on. Uh, it's an amazing thing because we look back and we think of grandma as grandma and and although she didn't wear a wedding ring it never occurred to us to think she was anybody but what she pretended to be or, or I don't know if she pretended to be that way but never realizing that you know you think you know someone and it, and it became very when we when I first discovered this uh, it was strange it did feel very strange.
0: Mike says not understanding his family's background frustrated him some when he was younger. But now he understands why no one talked about it.
2: I think, you know, knowing it, I'm okay with it. I really am. I, you know, I, I don't make judgments about what my grandmother did or didn't do. I mean, that she, it was, it was their time and their lives.
0: Thanks for listening to Tales from the Rep Morgue. And special thanks to our voice talent for this episode, Derek Hoover and Sarah Hoover. Before we go, I want to thank everyone who has listened to the podcast, those who have shared their stories, and the many colleagues and friends who have lent their voices to Tales from the Rep Morgue. Not only is this the final episode of Season 2, It's the final episode of the podcast. After almost 20 years at the repository, I'm moving on. But I'm not done telling stories. So again, thanks for listening. And stay tuned. Our theme music was Blind by Midon. Other songs heard in this episode included Antagonist Evil Plan, Comic Plotting, Iron Horse, Hidden Agenda, and Sneaky Snitch, all by Kevin mcleod and November by Kai Engel.